Marvelites, welcome to a special spooky episode of This Week in Marvel. I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jamie, a.k.a. Agent you wouldn't want to see me when I'm hangry. Pretty good. It's pretty long. Good. It's long, but it's true. Yeah. Uh, and this is a special bonus episode because we had Mr. Al Ewing, writer of Immortal Hulk here at Marvel, and we wanted to put something out special for the Halloween. And uh, we wanted to give a little bit of backstory or background on the sort of monster and horror stories that helped inspire or influence not only Al's run, but just Hulk in general. So, Immortal Hulk, super creepy Hulk story. Uh, it really digs into those monster aspects of the Jade Giant, as they call him. Mm. But it's also pulling in some horror vibes. Al, he really digs into that aspect of it. But I wanted to drop some more thoughts and, and see if you think about it at its base. And sometimes you can even listen to writer Stan Lee talk about this. The stories of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And Frankenstein certainly played a part in Hulk's creation. The idea of this man who transforms into a monster, it's always been key. And especially so now with Immortal Hulk is Banner goes away and Hulk rises at night. Like the nighttime change was actually an initial idea back in the day for triggering the transformation. But it really sort of like evolved over time to be more about stress and anger and adrenaline over the years. So it's cool that Al's bringing that back to the fore. And if you think about it, with Frankenstein's monster, it's this, this tortured beast who is given life but hated and feared by most. He's run out. He's hunted. It's a terrible life for the guy. He just wants to be left alone, you know? Ultimately, he lashes out because he doesn't want any of this crap. Yeah. Poor guy. Frankenstein's monster was always really fascinating for me because he was created basically by a guy who just wanted to challenge himself to do it. He wasn't really created to have a life of his own. Mm -hmm. And everyone he came into contact with rejected him. So, But he was still existing. And he had to figure out a way to exist in this world while also being a monster. Yeah. Which is deep, man. Yeah. And, like, he had no choice in that matter. Right. Uh, Bruce Banner was trying to be a hero, save a kid's life. And he got turned into a monster. And you see that it goes from there. But Hulk first appeared 1962, the first issue of which by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, about less than a year after the introduction of the Fantastic Four and sort of what we think of as the proper birth of the age of heroes at Marvel. So before Hulk, there was the thing, Ben Grimm, the orange Rocky bruiser with a sad heart, this member of the Fantastic Four who, like, especially in those early issues, he was really upset about what had happened to him. And you can see some similarities between Thing and Hulk but with Hulk just going bigger and deeper into those rage and the power aspects. And the Hulk didn't have the support system of the family like the Thing had. It's a very sad tale. It's super sad. They really should have tried to smooth out their differences. Well, yeah, they, they fought a lot. They did. Um, and before Fantastic Four, before you even called Marvel, Stanley, Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, the others, they were making really cool monster and horror titles under the guise of Atlas Comics. The pages of Tales of Suspense and Tales to Astonish, they're filled, 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 filled with amazing monsters and creatures and horrors. Some of them speaking, some not, some from space, some from the depths of the earth, some reawakened from long past, some result of science gone awry. There's all kinds of tales there. Like Tales to Astonish, number 11, right? Has Monstrum, the dweller in the black swamp. And it's this big swamp monster who fights an alligator and goes after people 
yet finds himself hunted and, and frightened and sad and ultimately sinks back down underground. And he's not talking. The, the twist is that he wasn't an evil guy. He wasn't trying to hurt everyone. He was an alien who had been stranded on Earth. He needed help from these people because he got reawakened. He was basically trying to sleep until he could come back and find someone to help him get off planet. And then these people are like, no, a monster. It's really a bummer. People can be jerks. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they couldn't understand him. They lashed out thinking he was a threat because he was big and he was different. So basically the end of that story is he's like, I'm going to go away again, away from these barbaric humans and wait for someone else to help me. Aww. Yeah. That's just one of many stories, right? Tons like this of creatures who mean humans no harm who are just chased and hurt by people. There's stories of rampage and fury and massive hulking creatures versus the military and other forces of humanity. You know, if you think about that, contextualize that in the pages of any Hulk story, but really even Immortal Hulk, it really makes a lot of sense. Al's also delving into the trauma that Bruce experienced as a child at the hands of his father. This is a big thing in the story. Brian Banner, Bruce's father, was first introduced in the 1980s, and there have been numerous stories with him over time, turning him into a gamma-powered monster, this sort of recurring, awful boogeyman, which is, if you think about it, is... Bruce, the victim of child abuse, and his dad, that person who perpetrates that, coming back over and over again. It is horrific. I add all this because it's intense in another way that Al's forging Hulk's future by digging into Hulk's past. It's so good, but also, man, that's a bummer. Yeah, I think what I love so much about reading modern Hulk stories is that these writers, these creators are going so much deeper into the person that is Bruce Banner and this because Bruce Banner by himself has enough baggage and demons and now he's a monster and he's dealing with that and it makes you look at the Hulk in a brand new way and it's beautiful and distressing all at the same time and you know a little relatable for a lot of people who have their own baggages we all do but uh yeah then this guy has to contend with turning into the Hulk once in a while and yep. hurting people and scaring people. So I, I love Deep Hulk. I love it. <laughs> yeah. As we move deeper into Immortal Hulk, we know January's Immortal Hulk number 11 kicks off the Hulk in Hell arc. If you haven't seen these covers by Alex Ross, highly suggest you check them out because they're so cool, so disturbing. And we know uh, we're going to get to see a bit of the one below all. So really diving into the horror monster bigger, creepy things that are at the center of all these stories. It's really cool. And if you don't like horror books, you're still going to like this book because it is a great, big, awesome, sweeping Hulk story. And that's what we want. We want cool Hulk stories. Yeah. So now, on to our chat with Mr. Al Ewing. How you doing? I'm doing all right. All right. Reasonable. So much to talk about. So little time. First things first. What I like to ask everyone is, what is your Marvel origin story? How did you first get exposed to our characters and stories, the worlds, the universe, all of it? Well, I'm not from round here. You what? Might, you might have noticed. But coming from the UK and uh, growing up during the 80s, we had Secret Wars, the reprint comic. So my first exposure to like all the Marvel heroes was that they all stood in a line <laughs> and said their names, <laughs> which was like incredibly useful. And then all the villains stood in line and said their names. They knew how to write comics back in those days. I've got to admit, Jim Shooter, he knew what he was doing. 
the everybody just saying their names and comparing nearby structures to oh my god it's the size of seven delawares that's like my abiding memory from uh, from that comic is uh, people being astonished by the size of things and then saying their names to the camera so you know it was the perfect introduction to like a young uk marvel like yeah no i love it uh what is your favorite marvel story oh that's um off the top of my head i'm just gonna pull out like uh Walt Simonson Thor, I think. Um, Pretty good. That's like the first, the first thing that uh, that occurs to me, and I guess it'd be the kind of the one where he gets all his all his bones broken and he's sort of in that gold armor. Mm-hmm. Oh wait, no, hang on. <laughs> Scourge with the two machine guns. There Classic. We go. If I've got to pick a favorite off the top of my head, in five minutes it'll be something completely different. But here, here and now, in this moment, it's Scourge with the two machine guns holding the bridge at Galabru. You there can't beat that. Boom. So good. Favorite Um, story. How did you actually break into comics and then get into Marvel? Well, in Britain, uh, we've got a long-running comic that's been around since uh, 1977, uh, the year I was born, called uh, 2000 AD. And that's basically a science fiction anthology. It also does, like, horror stuff occasionally. But what they have is an open submissions policy in that for six months out of the year, anybody can, like, send in a script. It'll go into the slush pile, eventually... An editor will take a look at it, decide if it's any good or not, and then give feedback. And sometimes that feedback will just be a curt, thank you, no thank you. Sometimes it'll be actually, I will try changing this and this and this. And back in, oh, this would be about 2001, 2002, I sent in a five-page twist-ending horror story. And I got back some feedback saying, you know, cut the amount of words by like half. (laughs) Everybody was just yakking it up. It was just like chattering away. Um, cut the amount of words by half. Maybe we can do something with this. So, you know, I kind of did took the feedback to heart, did the uh, reworked it, sent it back in. They bought it. And this is like the gambler kind of winning on his first roll. <laughs> this is like this is like the first story I'd sent out. So, I mean, I was just sending more and more and getting like lots of rejections, lots and lots of rejections. But eventually, you know how it is. You know, you send in stuff, it starts to get accepted. And then they start to ask you about, well... Could you do something longer? Could you do like a series? Could you do uh, Judge Dredd's, a Judge Dredd story? You know, we always need warm bodies on Judge Dredd. And then eventually people from America started noticing what I was doing uh, in Britain. And I think what my first story for Marvel was a, uh, a tie-in, an Age of Ultron tie-in. And I think that was just because they needed somebody to do the tie-ins for the Avengers Assemble book. I think Kelly C. DeConnick, who was writing at the time, was doing this big crossover with, like, Captain Marvel. So I, I did the tie-ins, and I liked the tie-ins, and then I started getting work at Marvel, and here I am, sitting here now. Look at that. What a journey. Yeah, I know. Um, I, I do want to say... delivered so succinctly. Yeah. Well, where we recorded this, did you see the news? Uh, Colossus Carr. Yeah. Uh, this morning, yeah. yeah I, he passed away, is... co-creator of Judge Dredd. And I'm sure super influential creator. Yeah, no, obviously that is uh, a huge, certainly the very first issues of 2008 I was picking up. Uh, the very first one I bought had his art in it. Obviously, he was the co-creator of Dread. He's a co-creator of uh, Strontium Dog. I mean, I'd, I'd put him as, um, I mean, Steve Ditko died recently. And for me, as a kid growing up in Britain, that's a similar level of sort of cultural impact yeah. in comics. It's like these these people they they die now, and it's like a part of the culture dying. It's somebody who has left these these gigantic footprints on our lives, and who is like you know you look back at your whole life, and like they were always a part of it. So it's like it's it's your Bowies, it's your Ditkos, and for me, 
called Sascara. So, you know, I've sort of, I, I read it on the phone, you know, I sort of tweeted some banal sentiment about it. And like, I've, I've put it away and I've come to this, this meeting and sort of not been thinking about it. But eventually tonight, I'm going to have to go and think about it. And yeah, I, that's when it's going to hit me. But I, I wanted to make sure, sure we, we shared some words from someone who was directly influenced by Carlos's work because he's so important. I have a bookshelf I mean, of 2000 AD stuff at home just as a, an American reader. It, it crossed over and he's, it was so think, important. I want to talk about, yeah, um, you know, Avengers No Surrender. Oh, yes. We don't do a lot of weekly books here. Uh, and, you know, that was really cool. I really enjoyed it. You guys, all of it, tons of characters, cool things. What is the challenge in actually working on a weekly book with so many other creators, so many voices, and so many characters? I mean, it's going to sound like I'm feeding you a lie here because I want to say kind of almost no challenge at all. Because the team was just so, just from the start we meshed, I think that was like, it was a matter of experience. Because Mark, obviously, on 52, he'd done a weekly book with a bunch of people. When I did the, um, and this is, you know, compared to 52, you know, minor thing, but they had the Judge Dredd crossover trifecta back in, I think that was 2012, working with Rob Williams and Slice That was very, very similar weekly outings, you know, coordinating what everybody needs to have happen at any time. You know, lots of emails back and forths about the plot. And we, we motivated ourselves, you know. It's like the editor. There's only one editor on 2000 He's a very busy man. We had to motivate ourselves. And then Jim comes along. And, you know, what he lacked in experience of this kind of crossover, his enthusiasm. He was like the battery that kept us all powered. He was like the energy. And so between the three of us, we were just able to... We were able to self-motivate. I remember Tom said um, he was very pleasantly surprised that we'd managed to just <laughs> kind of barrel forward on this without yeah. sort of um, swerving off into a ditch, swerving off into the, the gutter like a bowling ball. And, yeah, I think that was that was a combination of uh, the experience for me, especially for Mark, you know, the king of experience. He has been doing this literally for decades. And Jim's just tireless energy and dedication. And so, yeah, it's the perfect team. Yeah, pretty pretty damn perfect team. Now, other perfect teams, I really enjoyed your runs on New Avengers, US Avengers. I thought oh, those were super fun. That was fun. Uh, and especially the characters, such bold choices for those squads. Uh, Sunspot, Squirrel Girl, Cannonball, and, and you know, bringing the maker in as, as yeah. one of the villains. It was so it was, fun. It was just, I have a real love for these sort of the characters nobody else is using. I kind of feel like if, like, more than two people have characters guest star in their books, I kind of don't want to touch them because it's like, <laughs> other people need the love. You know, let me give my love to others. <laughs> and obviously the exception being the Hulk because, you know, everybody everybody loves the Hulk in contravention of the famous song, which lied <laughs> because everybody loves the Hulk. And it's like, you know, I, I love the Hulk too and I jumped at the chance. How did the, the, the gig for Mortal Hulk actually come up? I know we sort of spun out. I love the sort of the yeah. the, the, the backdoor pilot in I, Avengers North Carolina. Yeah, I mean, I was that. It was not a guaranteed thing that I would be on the book when we did that because I was sort of pitching stuff and Tom was still coming back with, well, I don't know if the person who eventually gets the Hulk book will. That might tie them down. And that person ended up being me, so it was fine. But it, I'd, I'd sort of been pushing, I'd been pushing it, I'd been pushing for that horror direction. And Tom, I think, agreed with that and was sort of looking for a horror take on it. So when he said, do you want to pitch for this along with a bunch of other people, part of that was, and we want to do this, you know, more sophisticated, more sort of horror-based take, this darker take 
So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a sure thing, but it was kind of the stars aligning a little bit because yeah. I had been thinking about this for a long time. Oh yeah, uh, obviously this book um, we've had hundreds of issues of Hulk and some really great runs. Were there any things that you were sort of putting in your mind as you're putting this story together? Favorite creators' runs, favorite villains, or as a creator, do you need to sort of separate yourself from what's come before in order to do what you're doing? I mean, I don't think it's possible to separate yourself from what's come before because, if for one thing, you need to, like, do lots of research to make sure you're not repeating any beats or not, like, uh, shot for shot repeating. At any rate, as a fan, because I've been a, a Hulk fan for a while, but as a fan, the, uh, the Peter David run. But for this, I found myself going back to the Bill Mantlo before it and kind of really... Um, Really getting into to his Bruce Banner because that was that turned out to be a very dark, yeah. very dark take, incredibly dark. When you go back and, and reread it, it's like and Peter David's version in comparison, we've taken so much from that run, but it's almost cuddly compared to like the Mantlo run. It's sort of this very lighthearted, this very sort of there's always a joke waiting, there's yeah. always a kind of thing. I think of like smart hulk smirking. It never gets too it gets dark, but it never gets too dark. Yeah. Whereas Bill Mantlo was just so Brooding horrific, and you've got all the like the Mignola art, the Alcala inks. What about from from those time periods, the villains? I mean, I, obviously oh. with the Mantlo going into the psyche, some of the as you're talking about those darker moments and really pulling yeah. in from I mean, Bruce's we, past. We have brought back Brian Banner, and we're sort of springboarding off him into a completely new villain, a completely new sort of villainous entity. We're also, in terms of bringing back, like, villains for the past, we've got some new some new villains, some new human level villains, some of which we've sort of borrowed names from the TV show. Dr. Jeffrey Clive made his first appearance in issue six. We've got Del Fry, the first. But this is, it's it's just taking the names from the TV show as a kind of Easter egg thing. Yeah. But we've also got General Fortean, uh, General Reginald Fortean from the Jeff Parker Red Hulk run. And I mean, the thing I always say, the thing I always try and maintain is that you don't need to know this stuff. You need to don't need to go back and read this stuff. You can, what I want, my, my driving ambition with Immortal Hulk is that if somebody only ever buys Immortal Hulk for the rest of their life and doesn't like buy any other comic ever, they'll get a complete story. So I want to avoid doing those things where it's like, and now we're going to continue doing this story in The Amazing Hamster Man. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I want to avoid that. I want to kind of avoid giving people the impression that they're not welcome kind sure. of thing. Like that unless they've read all this stuff that they can't get along. Yeah. Like when we were kids, we looked this stuff up. We were like, you know, we were getting loads of, you we know. Worked. Mr. Yeah, Mr. Sinister comes up. And like, Who's Mr. Sinister? And, you know, we've got to go back and look him up. Yeah. And like there was, there's a sort of joy to that. But at the same time, too much of it, you can sort of seal people off. It's a nice little bounce. I like to leave Easter eggs, things where if you do know this stuff, it's like a little extra buzz. Or you can go on the internet and like look it up and kind of feel like there's this big connections from the past. And, you know, that's a nice thing to have. But if you just want to read Immortal Hulk forever and only that, and that's your first and your last comic ever, that's fine. You can do that. I encourage you to do that. Burn all other comics. All uh, you need is a Mortal Hulk. Al, Al. Oh, okay. You can say that, but I would say, please, read all the Marvel comics you can. We love you. Uh, before we, we wrap up, on. I do want to give a shout out to Joe Bennett and the art team. Oh, he's Joe so is, good. Joe is, like, I, I am floored every issue. It is gorgeous stuff. Talk a little bit about how exciting it is to get those pages in your I inbox. I will tell you something. There are pages you haven't seen. They are better. Every issue he gets better. 
And you can see, like, the passion he has for this project. You can see it, you know, in every line of his face. He does these very tight pencils. You can, in every line, in every stroke, you can see just the absolute passion he has for this yeah. project. And that, of course, gets me excited, which, you know, gets him excited. And we kind of, we're sort of feeding off each other at this point. We're sort of in sync. Yep. I love um, it. Al, last thing. Okay. What is a little tease you can give for what's coming up in the pages of Immortal Hulk? Oof. Okay. Well, I could talk about what we're calling the Hulk in Hell arc. I could mention, obviously, the one below all. There's the, the stuff with the jars. You've seen we're putting him in some jars. There's Crusher Creel. Ooh. I like that little, like... Um, Betty's coming back. Crusher Creel. Crusher Creel. Betty's coming back. Leonard Sampson. Um, All right. Now you're just giving away too much. I can't let you do that. Al. I'm, I was just about to just give you, like, a map of, like, nope. everything up to issue 25. C.B. Sobolski's going to come in with a bat and take me down. We can't do that. But, Al, thank you for being here okay. on This Week in Marvel. You're always a pleasure. I'm so glad. Thank Next you. time, I want. there's so much more to talk about. You are the best. Read Immortal Hulk. I'm Ryan, and this is Marvel, your universe. <laughs>